You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic. Your guide on the side. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Have we been telling stories that we really haven't even thought about? But we use these phrases like, I'm not very good at that. Yeah, I don't do that. I'm not a math person. We might quickly dismiss something we do by saying, ah, it's just the way I am. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, I don't like to hold the grandbabies. I, I, I want them. I'm a, I'm a grandpa that'll play with them when they're older. Well, let go of that story and pick up your grandbaby. <laughs> Get rid of the story. You don't have to be pegged by something you thought you were 30 years ago. It's not like somebody's going to say, Grandpa, do this math. So you you don't have to be bad at math anymore. You've got a brain. You can still add. Anyway, it's simple to just sit there and have a trite phrase that we use all of the time. But many of these phrases, they're not going to help you. They beat you up. They They actually take away something. They could take away something like time with your kids or your grandkids. Yeah, I don't have time for that. Yeah, hobbies, you know, I don't golf because it's a waste of time. Now, you don't have to go golf, but that's also a story because it could be really time well spent. Exercising, hanging out with friends, opening your mind up, meditating, wrapping your golf club around a tree, stuff like that. Another thing we need to let go of is the need to keep score. Let's just get very clear, folks. Life isn't fair. So if it's not fair, then there's probably no value in keeping score. (laughs) People are going to step on you. They're going to make mistakes. Someone's going to pull in front of you, and it is going to slow you down ten hundredths of a second. Yeah, it happens. Doesn't mean you need to chase them down and pull in front of them. The reason why it's not useful to keep score is because much of life is intangible anyway. The greatest benefits in life are intangible. They're not even... You can't mark it. You can't compare it. The joy you feel being with a grandchild, the joy you feel watching your child have a home run or hit a home run in a game, man, that's incredible. And why are we keeping score? It's not fair. At some point, people are going to step on your toes. They're going to do stupid stuff. This isn't a race. This is called life. So if you feel a need to keep score constantly, then guess what? You're going to pay for it. There's going to be problems for you. Another thing we need to let go of are what I call the overs and the unders. Every one of us tends to take extremes in our lives. We either go overboard or under, right? So we play way too hard and excessive in what we do. We play to kill for keeps. We play to dominate. And some of us just don't play. Think about your life. Where are you overboard? Well, I I collect figurines. I have 12,000 of them. Okay, it's a little over. Maybe you're a little overboard on that. Uh, You don't have to be a fanatic to believe in God. You don't have to go overboard or under. Yeah, I don't even go to church. You can actually go to church and just be there. Be there your way. 
yeah, but then they'll ask me to pray, and no, i got to pray. And Well, you can say no. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. Overs and unders, we all do it. And it, sometimes it's over, you know, we're overconfident, uh, and some of us are really underconfident. We lack the confidence we need. Are there certain things that take you to an extreme? Are you doing any activity excessively? Do you, over, do you overschedule your life? Do you overcommit to everything? Are you overly exhausted? Or do you, you know, have plenty of energy because you don't ever say yes to anything and you don't ever step out of your comfort zone? We might want to look at that and let go of it. You might want to let go of what's not working. Sometimes in life there's just time to let go of stuff that just isn't working. It's it's how many times do you keep trying to do something over and over and it's just not working? We keep trying it. That could I mean I see it a lot with my clients where they just keep trying and trying and trying to do to have a conversation even though it's not working. Well, what are we supposed to do just not talk? Well, no, but go learn how to make it work. Find another way to do this. There are different ways to try stuff. And with today's technology and today's day and age, if if the way you keep trying to lose weight isn't working and it hasn't for 30 years, maybe you've got to let go of that way of losing weight. Maybe it's not about watching your calories. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's another way to skin the cat. I don't know why we're skinning cats, but... Seems gotta, a little cruel to me. Yeah, to you skin, don't have to skin a cat, skin cat to lose weight. You don't. But find another way to do it. Just go find something you're passionate about. Well, I really love racquetball, but I, it doesn't help me with my calories. Well, okay. There's, but then go do more racquetball. You know, I don't know. Just we've got to find a different way of doing things that, especially after years of something not working. Another thing we might want to do is get rid of our need to accumulate stuff. Oh, it's just stuff we keep. I kept, and I have no idea why I did it, I kept every script basically for our radio show, every article I read, we we accumulate about 20, 30 pages of information that we use for this show every day. And I would just staple them all together and put them in a file. I threw them out. Actually, I had I had Kaylee throw them out. She broke her. She about, darn near broke her back trying to lift this, lift these papers. It's crazy. We accumulate stuff like it matters, but then when you look at people like Gandhi, you know, Buddha, Christ, these people were known for what they didn't have. They didn't try to get their identity from their stuff. Maybe we could just throw more stuff out, you know, recycle more, get rid of stuff, declutter. So I challenge you as springs are coming, let's declutter. Get in there and seriously, get rid of a third of your stuff. Well, but I might need it. Have you needed it the last 10 years? Well, no, but I might retire in 10 more years and then I might need it. Believe me, by the time you retire in 10 years, you won't need it. You'll have an iPhone that does everything for you. Another thing we might let go of is just one bad habit. Think of one bad habit. You might have 50. Ben has 250. And growing. And growing. Just get rid of one bad habit. Just one thing. What's one thing you can just 
figure out how to stop doing today. One thing. Let's just get it off our plate. Oh. One bad habit. Ben, what's your bad habit you're going to get rid of? Caring too much. No, brother. Caring too much? When did that start? That's my defect. That's my only defect. My only weakness. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Don't even worry about it. Never mind. Knew I shouldn't have asked him. Just one bad habit. What's your what's your worst habit? I care too much. So I'm going to let it go and turn into a horrible, evil person. That's one of the great lines. What's your worst um, – what would you say is your worst habit uh, as we're about to hire you for this job? My worst habit is I, I try too hard. I work endlessly. You're amazing. I know. You ought to hire me. Anyway – let go of just one bad habit. So there you have it, folks. A few ideas for you. Things we can let go of. Project elimination. Let go of stories that don't serve us. Let go of the need to keep score. Let go of the overs and the unders, the extremes that we take. Let go of what is not working. Let go of the need to accumulate stuff. And let go of one bad habit. Even if that habit is you care too That's the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be back. More tools, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Losing weight is incredibly difficult, isn't it? No matter what method you use, it may seem impossible to prevent weight gain. But uh, it's possible, my friends, that you're missing a vital aspect that uh, so many of us overlook, the mental aspect. Our minds and are, are very powerful things, right? And we are here today to learn how to overcome our minds. Think about it. How does your brain impact your eating. When you get stressed, does your brain go into autopilot? Well, here to help us with this uh, in not just uh, managing our mind through weight loss, but also managing our brain in stress and other conditions is Dr. Laurel Mellon. She's a health psychologist who founded and developed emotional brain training. She's an associate clinical professor of family and community medicine and pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco. And we're honored to have her on the show today. Dr. Mellon, thank you for being with us today. What a pleasure, Matt. I'm so happy to be here with you, and I love your program. I've been listening to it and really enjoy the great work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Talk about this. I I was intrigued by your idea because so much of the time we're just getting into body, right? We're getting into the weight loss, the nutrition side. But in the end, so much of this is about our brain. Well, you know, the brain is the main controller of our entire being, our thoughts, our feelings, our behavior. And the problem with the brain is it's not the thinking brain that's in charge. It's that's the conscious mind. It's the emotional brain, the unconscious mind that we don't even know is operating in the background. Hmm. It's telling us to overeat. It's telling us that we're bad or we don't have any power. And these uh, circuits in the emotional brain 
up until 2007, we thought we would have to use medications, go to a therapist, go to a shrink, somehow to figure out what's going on in this elusive emotional brain. And it turns out you can really organize it very, very easily using neurophysiology. And that's just what EBT, emotional brain training, does. Oh, wow. It just says to you that you are essentially in five different levels of stress of your emotional brain, not your thinking brain, because it's not the controller. And if you can identify it on a five-point scale, one, two, three, four, or five, and use an emotional technique that's right for that level of stress, you can spiral up to a state of connection where you don't even want the extra cookie. You're your most loving and productive self. It, wow. Re, the tools are absolutely magical. I loved the article. It's Because in my mind, I'm thinking, whoa, we can control this. It's just step by step by step. And I guess that's a heightening of our consciousness. Well, you know, you probably know about mindfulness and meditation, and they're very well accepted. What I want you to think of as emotional brain training, EBT, is a combination of being absolutely present in the moment, yet being able to identify the level of stress in your emotional brain. So it's kind of like the X-axis, if you think back to math, Mm -hmm. kind of being mindful, but there is a deeper level, and that's how much stress is going on in the brain, because essentially we have in our brain five different drawers full of memories. And these memories tell us how to automatically respond in life. And if we're at low stress, brain state one, it's low stress, high high joy, we have the top drawer of our brain activated and everything is hunky-dory. We don't even care about it, whether we have that piece of cake and we're really, really kind and loving people because we're drawing upon those memories. But automatically and universally for all of us, when we go through more stress, and stress is part of everyday life, we can go down to, to stress level two, three, four, and five. And when we're down in, in the bottom of the brain at stress level five, we have no joy and no sense of connection, and we have extreme behaviors. This is true for all of us. So this is what EBT does. Number one, you come in and you learn the five techniques, so you know what level of stress you're in and how to spiral back up to brain state one. And so it makes stress management easy. But once you have these tools, you can do a lot of things. And it's it's sad to say, but for example, I had an early love affair where I fell in love with someone and they absolutely broke my heart. Mm. And I really believe these memories in the bottom of my brain when I was at the high stress levels, which is brain state four and five, the reptilian brain's in charge and they're stored there, that was probably going to block me from loving again. Because every time I'd begin to love, I would trigger those old memories without my conscious awareness or choice. The brain automatically does this. And it would get me stuck, stalled, judgmental, and I couldn't go forward. So what these tools do is, as you're going through your day, when you come up with something like someone's rejecting to you, you just use those tools and they actually pull apart the memories and let them be reconfigured in a form that helps you love rather than judge. Hmm. So those memories from the past begin to fade, and so you take charge. And, and so, because our brain is, it, it's, it's going to go into fight or flight kind of mode, which I guess is the, it's the uh, reptilian brain. And when it does in an extreme level, I guess is what you're saying, like when we get to the fourth level or the fifth level, yeah. it, it, it overrides the system and it's going, it becomes automatic responses versus a, a chosen intentional approach to life. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we all have brain states fours and fives, and they're actually good. When I've, I've written several books, and you would, as you know, when you're writing a book and when you're trying to do something hard, there's some hard moments. And if you go down to brain state five and really try to figure something out, that's when you're most creative because you have breakthroughs. But then with the tools, you spiral back up so you get that great idea and you don't have to live in a state of stuck stress. So it's not that stress is bad. It's just we need tools so we don't get stuck in it. Yeah. Does uh, so and and really what becomes automatic is our our food eating response. Well, that, that's what I'm most. I, quite frankly, when I was a kid, I had an emotional overeating problem, and I went to UC Berkeley undergraduate, and I became a nutritionist, and eventually I ended up uh, becoming a faculty member at UCSF, and I began specializing in obesity. I thought, my gosh, I have all this knowledge about nutrition. I hadn't become a health psychologist yet, and I'm going to solve this problem. Well, the problem is that in this country right now, the reason that obesity rates are still going up, now 71% of us are overweight or obese, is because we've been focusing on the wrong brain. There are basically two major brains inside of our heads. The thinking brain, what we know, analyze, the plan, decide. And I knew everything I could know about nutrition and how much I should exercise and when I should exercise and what I should do. And that plus five cents gives you a nickel. <laughs> because the wires are circuits that control our three major brain structures, the amygdala, the the uh, the the fear, or in other words, the fear center, the appetite center, and the reward center—they're all in the emotional brain. And if that brain is at stress level four or five, really stressed, all of them flip the switch toward weight gain. So we've been focusing on telling people what to do in the thinking brain, wrong brain. We've got to move it to the emotional brain, and you rewire those patterns so you stop even wanting the extra food. Wow. It really is. I mean, I see trying to turn off those brains as well. One of the most difficult things we do in trying to get couples talking. And so, you know, that that's what I mean, I could I could see a lot of use for this there as well. Right. The idea is that a couple um, in order to emotionally connect and look at all the literature on relationships, and many people come into relation into emotional brain training into our telegroups and they do it because they are not connecting with their children emotionally. They're not connecting with their, their spouses uh, emotionally, maybe even their coworkers. Actually, one of the hardest things we do with our emotional brain and these tools is to emotionally connect because this is how it looks. In order for me, like right now, to be able to emotionally connect with you, I first have to have my thinking brain, my, the mindful part of me, connected to my emotional brain. So I'm first and foremost connected to myself. So I feel safe. I feel authentic. I'm vibrant and I have integrity. That's a foundation. Then I need to emotionally connect with you. And you could be at any level of stress. Stress And my emotional brain, like all of us, has no walls. So if you're stressed, it's going to flow into my brain. And so I'm even going to have to be better at being able to stay connected and use these tools. And then if I can open the emotional pipeline and connect with you, I can have love. I can have sensual sexual pleasure. I can have loving companionship and I can be forgiving. And so that's why couples come because the hardest thing we do is intimacy and it's the most important thing we do. Mm. It's so interesting in our brain kind of, again, at a level that we're not even really paying attention to, our brain is driving so much of our our failure. 
It is. And we, the other thing that people come in, I was in a telegroup uh, last night, and a woman came in, she said, I finally got it. And I said, well, what did you get? She says, I, I got that I keep on repeating the same patterns over and over again. I keep, even if I stop overeating, then I start drinking too much, or I start, start on technology too much, or spending, or hoarding, or clutter. I just have one excess after another. And she's, I said, yeah, that's because your set point or your brain habits down there in the fourth or fifth drawer of your brain. And those circuits were encoded before the age of three or later during stress. And they do not go away by thinking. You can't think your way out of those circuits. You've got to melt them with these emotional tools. You've got to melt them away. Great, uh, great Jack insight. Them melt them. We'll take <laughs> a break. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Lauren Mellon about um, EBT in emotional brain tr- uh, training. We'll come back. If you go to her website, ebt.org, you can find out more information about how to how to start using EBT uh, in your life. And we'll come back. We're going to have uh, her walk us through this. How do we do it? How do we get down to that fifth drawer and turn some stuff off? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Is it time to lose weight? Could it be that your stress levels uh, are at play? Your very stress could be driving your overeating, and yet your brain, because it's stressed, starts to just play the, hey, time to eat, time to save, uh, time to shut down the system so we're not going to lose any weight here. You got to get to a level of understanding your brain, especially at an emotional level. It's called emotional brain training, and it's a wonderful um, tool to help us understand. And I think in the end, we can unleash a lot of our problems by by getting better understanding of our emotional brain. Dr. Laurel Mellon joins us. She is a psychologist, a health psychologist who has founded and developed an emotional brain training program. If you go to ebt.org, you can find out more about it, uh, even take assessments and, and see how you can start to re – I guess – I don't know if you reboot the brain, but at least understand and, and move yourself from a stress level to a lower level of stress. Dr. Laurel Mellon, welcome back to the show. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Is that – is it – you don't you don't reboot it. You end up – you have to move from one level of stress in the brain to a to a lower level of stress. Is that the goal? I totally love your question because you're right on both counts. So let's say I take a nice deep breath and let's just do that right now. And I put my hand on my belly or on my heart and I check in with my body. That's where we experience our emotional brain. That's where we read our stress level. And so I say to myself really kindly as I'm walking along, I say, you know, let me check in with myself and see if I can spiral back to a state of joy, get out of this stress. And I say, what number am I? Am I at one, uh, feeling present with a slight bit of joy or glow, two, feeling good, three, a little stressed, four, definitely stressed, or five, stressed out, where the bottom of the brain is in charge. And if I say, let's say I'm at, 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 at three, and I say, great, I'm just going to accept that. No, I think I'll spiral up. And I, I spiral up, and I'll t- show you how to do that that tool it turns negative emotions into positive ones. But every time I spiral up 
back to a state of connection and well-being, I not only make stress management easy, but I change. I actually rewire my brain so it's easier and easier to spiral up. So essentially, you're changing the brain's long-term habit. So instead of its habit or set point emotionally being in stress, it can be in that state of connection and joy. So you're doing both things. You're reconsolidating circuits, erasing them, and making them into more effective circuits in the past. And secondly, you're actually getting a great spiral up to a different level of stress in the brain. And you're training the brain, right? You're teaching the brain to do this. I know. That's great. Yeah, it's and you know what? There are only five tools, and I first learned them when I, I first I first use them with children to go to the root cause of obesity. And when it comes to obesity, we are doing such a disservice to seventy one percent of our population by telling them if they just ate uh, unrefined foods, they would have a solution. That's not the case because when the brain is in stress. Uh, apples, oranges, uh, meat, potatoes, anything like that is just like not what we want. We have unstoppable drives from stress to eat artificial foods, refined foods, as well as other excesses. It's just how the brain works. And so instead of fighting Mother Nature, you spiral up to brain state one where you don't even care about the extra cookie. So people are judging themselves because they can't lose weight. They can't lose weight because they're not mastering their emotional brain. And they're not taking charge of it. And knowing you can't lose weight um, stresses you. So it's self-perpetuating. It's self-perpetuating. All of a sudden, these judgments come on bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm, I don't have any power. Well, we do have power. It's by learning five simple tools that anyone can learn so they can take charge of their emotional brain. And then it becomes fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was working last night. There was a group who had lost 40 pounds. These are telegroups, which because the emotional brain is a social brain, you learn the tools online, but then you use them in small groups with a coach that there's no therapist or no MD or uh, it's, it's simply a coach is there with six other people and you practice them for an hour a day. Pardon me, an hour a week. And what happens is you come together and you support each other. The brain wants love most of all. So we were in this group last night and someone said, you know, I've lost 50 pounds, but I just got a really bad uh, eye, eye injury and I'm in a lot of pain and I'm really scared. And when I, I noticed that I started to get hungry again, hmm. and we said, well, let's listen to you spiral up. So she spirals up back to brain state one. She's, oh, I feel so good and I don't even care about the food. So essentially, you you need emotional tools to deal with emotional circuits and emotional circuits that are causing our obesity epidemic and everything that comes with it, diabetes, all the other problems that go with it. I'm, I'm assuming that this, um, just because our brains are so smart that we, if we're not careful, I mean, you really have to spiral up and emotionally change your state. You can't just pretend spiral up. Right. I mean, exactly. I could see people faking this to please their therapist so they can get out of the room. But in reality, you're not going to feel great and turn off this, these mechanisms in your body unless you actually change your emotion. That's that right. And, you know, quite frankly, Matt, the, the issue is that many people say, well, you know, we, we have to think our way out of problems. And that was really, that's how cognitive behavioral therapy came about. Right. There was a belief that Freudian was, you know, the Freudian way was wrong. We couldn't do anything with this big lump of an emotional brain and an 
unconscious um, way of operating. So we had to think. Well, it turns out that thinking is actually pretty good. It's just it's just way weaker than changing the emotional circuit. Mm. And up until now, if you said to yourself as you walk through your day in all five different stress levels, how do I feel? You would have probably gotten in trouble because if you were at brain state four, the feelings get stuck. We get depressed. We get numb. We get ashamed. We get hostile. And so feelings aren't that safe unless you have these five tools because they're processed differently, different techniques, for every level of stress. Would you like to use the tool for for stress level three? And I'll show you how great it works. Yes. How simple it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so each level has a tool, right? And, that, and each level you, has a tool. So you have to recognize the level you're on and then use the tool to get to the next level. It, to get to spiral back up to yeah. one. That's okay. where the brain wants to go. Yeah, let's go. And that when you spiral up, you, you, you affect the physiology in every cell of your body. So you have a huge That's great. Shift. Okay. So I want you to take a nice deep breath. And remember, it's about your loving, safe connection to yourself, to others, to the spiritual. That's what you're connecting with in the emotional brain. And you say, hey, take a nice deep breath. And again, put your hand on your heart or your belly. Really connect with yourself. It only takes about 20 seconds. You can do it at work. You can do it in the car anytime. And you say, hey, I get my safety from connecting to the deepest part of me. And knowing my stress level, am I at one, feeling great, two, a little stressed, pardon me, two, feeling good, three, a little stressed, that's what we're looking for right now for you if you can be, four, definitely stressed, or five, stressed out. What would you guess for yourself? Just play Mm. with it. Three. Great. I'm a three. Okay. Okay. So... (laughs) In 2007, we figured out the tools precisely, and in 2012, we put it on in an online program so you can just have an app and a website and do it, and we made it really, really simple. So all I'm going to do is say a few words, then you repeat the words for eight sentences, and then see what words bubble up in your mind. It's like complete the sentence you used to have as a kid. So the, the, the four, there are eight feelings. You move through anger, sadness, fear, and guilt. And all of a sudden, you know, the, all of a sudden the sunshine comes out, and you're in grateful, happy, secure, and proud. Let's give it a go. Yeah. Are you still uh, game? Yeah, okay. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to write them down so I remember. Well, I'm, you don't have to. I'm going to do it Oh, you're going to coach me through it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go for it. I, I'm going to say it, and I need you to say it, and you're using your thinking brain. Okay. And then you're going to let the wisdom of your emotional brain fill in the blanks. It'll bubble up some words. Okay. I feel angry that. So say, I feel angry that. I feel I, angry that. Now pause, that beautiful pause, and you're letting your beautiful emotional brain complete the sentence. It doesn't have to make sense. Just a few words. Um, I feel angry that I can't get everything done. Perfect. Wonderful. Now we're going to do the second one. Okay. I feel sad that. So repeat those words and then wait for the emotional brain to answer it. I feel sad that. I'm not doing all I can. Wonderful. So you've done two great. There's only only a few more. Okay. I feel afraid that. Again, repeat the lead in and then wait for the emotional brain. I feel afraid that I will let people down. 
beautiful. One more negative and your brain will naturally become positive. I feel guilty that. Now, that's not shame. It's just I have some power here. I could do, I've done that differently. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, feel guilty. guilty that. I'm not. It's almost the same. I'm not doing all I can. Now take a nice deep breath, and the brain naturally goes to the negative to protect you to see if there's some something that could be a threat to you. And once you've cleared away all those four feelings, now you're going to turn your attention and notice you can connect to yourself more deeply and all of a sudden say, I feel grateful that. Repeat that. I feel grateful that. I'm learning how to change. Beautiful, beautiful. Take a nice deep breath. And I feel happy that. I feel happy that it's this easy. (laughs) I feel secure. I feel secure, even a little bit secure that. I feel even a little bit secure that I can do this right now. What? Woohoo! And I feel proud that I, even yeah. a little bit proud. Yeah, I feel proud, or even a little bit proud that I did it on radio. <laughs> Woohoo! That's great. So if that you works. Tell a group learning these tools. What happens is because the emotional brain is has no walls, your joy gets. Get spread around, so it circles around the room. I can imagine that you're. No, oh, all my team here, they're giddy. My team are just—they're <laughs> all—they were all doing it. Well, some of them were, some weren't. But Great. yeah. And the the wonderful thing about that is that that is not just old-fashioned feelings. These are emotional circuits that control every cell of your body, and because of that, their health, happiness, productivity, and loving relationships are going to be stronger when they're in that that stress level one, in those beautiful memories, and they'll have a much better day. So each level has a a protocol that you just take it through, and then you go to the next level. How long would it take somebody to go from a damage control level five um, to one? All the tools take you right to one. But So how long does that take as a process? They they could take – Three, four, five minutes. Uh, yeah, so um, it depends, um, but three to four, five minutes. Between, yeah, somewhere between one and five minutes to get to brain state one. That's great. And in that state, like let's say they were hungry and they wanted a blueberry muffin, when they get to one, they the drive turns off. And the reason it turns off, and this is extremely important, I think particularly to our audience today, Matt, is that when we're at brain state one, the reward centers light up for higher order spiritual rewards. So these these rewards of doing the right thing, there are seven of them in EBT, and you actually train your reward centers so they stop wanting the various excesses that we all get into that are artificial, whether it's technology or food or drinking or whatever that is. Train the brain to naturally crave being authentic, being integrity, having vibrancy, intimacy, spirituality, Mm. and ultimately... It's like Maslow, right? You get to the higher need. We've we've moved to the higher (laughs) ability. It That's is. Cool. It is exactly like that. And what happens is the overall goal, and this is out of Rockefeller University, and uh, my devotion is to seeing the, the potential for us to each take control of our emotional brain and move up our emotional set point 
And when the habit is to be more in one, still free to move through all the all the states because every time you go down to four or five, you actually refresh yeah. your emotional architecture. You get stronger and deeper. Adversity actually helps the brain get stronger. But if we uh, can just start by voting with our own emotional brain and have more of us use emotional brain training, get that set point up so we can be more, even a stronger force of love and light in the world, mm. who knows what could happen. Oh, yeah. Love it. Well, it's helped. It's helped me, man. You moved me from three to one or three to two, I guess. And then I'd have to go through the two protocol. But uh, Dr. Laro Mellon, thank you so much. This is interesting, important insight. EBT.org is the website they can go to, right? Absolutely. And we have offers there where they can get into a telegroup. They can do it online and they can learn these tools and really take charge of their emotional brain and their lives. Good stuff. Good stuff. Appreciate you again, Dr. Laurel Mellon, and uh, your great work there at ebt.org. We'll take a break, folks. Just elevated. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, whether you get, like, understand what we uh, what we were just talking about with emotional um, build, oh, what's it called emotional brain therapy, whether that's the way you want to go, you, at some point you need to focus on your emotions. I'm a big believer that all issues, all relationship issues, all life issues, really, are emotional management issues. Life is great when you're feeling great, right? Is life great when you feel horrible? No. It's the emotion that makes it great or not. Well, no, it's really what's going on. But you've probably had situations where you were at a higher state emotionally, a healthier state emotionally, and still going through difficult stuff. The difficult stuff in life will not go away. Your ability to manage the emotion it's important, and we just manifested that with uh, Dr. Laurel Mellon. Going through those questions really are pretty powerful, simply because, do you notice, it makes you almost find your shame. It almost makes you, it made me look at my guilt. It made me dig deeper into what I am doing and what I'm not doing with my own life. Those thoughts that she was processing me through create a lot of my emotional stress. So, the the greatest value of what I think I just saw with uh, Dr. Mellon's work is that it gives me – I took a space, and in that space, I went and started to make change. When we make change and we make space and we focus on our emotions and our feelings, something's going to change. Something's going to happen, and uh, the problem is most of us don't ever make the time to do that. So make sure you take time to look at your emotions. You are not your emotion. If you're mad, you're not mad. You're still yourself you got to go put your madness in space, right? Do something about it. A little Coach's Corner for you. We'll take a break. It's the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world, helping you become the best you can be. We'll be right back. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. Your guide on the side. If we're not wholeheartedly in our relationship, then we probably are always looking for exit strategies. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. 
I love talking to people that are at the top of their field, right? The top of their game. I mean, some people are sitting there like, well, I don't like people that try to make it sound that simple. And, um, you know, you don't have to go chasing money. You don't have to go be in love with money. And But the reality is there are people, and if you've ever been around somebody, I just sat down with somebody yesterday that is running a huge company, multi-billion dollar company. And he, with thousands of employees and tens of thousands of employees, and it's it's interesting how organized he really is and how it all comes down to very basic principles in his mind, in his, in his head. It really is about principles. And I think that's all Brian was teaching us is there's just certain principles that are going to lead to success. You can argue against them if you want, but it's hard to argue that companies that focus on sales make more sales. I mean, if if all of a sudden the average uh, corporation is spending 25% of their workforce, 30% of their money on creating and generating sales, and uh, a little homegrown business is spending 10% on sales, wouldn't it make sense that the corporation's going to make more money? Right? That's not brain surgery. And yet, as a small business owner, it's hard to focus on sales if you don't love sales. I'd rather create content any day, but that's useless if no one's going to go sell the content. So if you want a company to succeed, you really need to do what works. How about just long-term thinking versus short-term thinking? Have you been so busy just living your life day in and day out that you didn't plan ahead for something down the road? You ever had a trip that you knew you were going to take in, you know, six months from now? And then you waited till three weeks before to get your passport? Oh, just long-term thinking, you know, it helps. It's not perfect, but it, it can certainly help. So, Anyway, it's uh, it's just some basic information, um, and uh, but also, I think if you just look at uh, like Brian Tracy's success rate, it's pretty good, pretty good. You, if you're selling millions and millions of books a year, you're doing you're doing okay. Doesn't make doesn't mean it's all perfect and great, but he's living his principles. He is creating sales. He is an entrepreneur. He is looking long-term. If you're trying to grow a business, you probably ought to grow some of those principles as well. But there might be more uh, other things we can be doing. Let me give you a few more that that will definitely impact your ability to, to live better. We might actually need to go back into our lives and eliminate some things, right? Get rid of certain things. There's a Listen to this story of a 90-year-old woman um, from Michigan decided to turn her cancer diagnosis into an excuse to travel across the United States. The woman named Norma is accompanied by her son, Tim, daughter-in-law, Ramey, and their poodle, Ringo. And they are out documenting their adventures via Facebook page, Driving Miss Norma. (laughs) 
Norma learned of her cancer within two weeks of her husband's death and told her son prior to the diagnosis that she had no interest in treatment. Her son and his wife then explained to the doctor they would be driving her around the country in her RV and ultimately receiving his blessing. As doctors, we see what cancer treatment looks like every day, he said. ICU, nursing homes, awful side effects, and honestly, there is no guarantee she will survive the initial surgery to remove the mass. You're doing exactly what I want to do in this situation. Have a fantastic trip, the doctor said. In August, the family upgraded their motor home to a larger 36-foot model and began their trip by traveling to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota before continuing through the country, visiting other landmarks, historical sites such as Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Ramey uh, told ABC News that in addition to seeing the sites and gaining more than 100,000 likes on her Facebook page, Norma's health seems to be improving. How cool is that? She's getting better, maybe, or at least feeling better. She's receiving the benefits of being different, doing something different. Notice she set a goal. She's figured out how the goal is going to work. What a great way. If, if, you gotta, if you got cancer and you got to deal with cancer, it sure sounds like a better way to do it. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. It's just technology. But I'm telling you, I have a feeling we are getting lulled to sleep. And we are sleeping through our own lives. The minute you have a free second, do you reach for your cell phone? Do you have to go check Facebook to see what your million friends are doing or have done? What is it doing to us? It's killing us. And again, it's just tech. I get it. It's just technology. However, this is still your life. And if you're going to spend the rest of your life just caught up in technology, what lesson are we sending our children? So before we sit there and try to fix our children's use of technology, make sure you take a really strong inventory of yourself. Are you addicted? If you lost your phone, would your life completely fall apart? Well, yeah. Who would I, who would I like? Well, I don't know. But that's pretty pitiful because if you lost your phone, you're still you, right? Well, yeah, but I don't know my friends' names or their numbers. Well, that's weird. Maybe they're not your real friends then. Come on. Come on. Hey, uh, you know, tech is being used everywhere. If you, I don't know if you heard this story about uh, cops. Um, North, Northeast Ohio police are hoping to figure out who left a bag of methamphetamine in a hotel trash, I guess. And they, they, they feel horrible. The police department feels horrible for the owner's loss and wants to help. The tongue-in-cheek message was posted Tuesday to the Macedonia Police Facebook page and asked the owners of the drugs to call or stop by to claim them so officers can, in their words, make your day. It's a trap! A photograph shows a baggie containing what detectives say is about a gram of high-grade crystal methamphetamine, worth as much as 160 bucks. The detective at the department, about 20 miles southeast of Cleveland, says there were numerous empty bags in the hotel trash can. Police haven't identified who rented the room using a, uh, a gift card. Um, so if you're out there and you've lost 
$160 worth of high-grade crystal meth, about a gram's worth, give them a call. Or give us a call. No, don't give us a call. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't give us a call. Ben, give the Macedonia Police Department a call. They're worried. They're worried about you. See, you can use tech to help people who have lost things. It's that simple. By the way, I used tech to find my my iPad once when I dropped it off my car, actually. I left it on my hood of my car. I drove away. I, I've only heard of, like, women doing that with their purses. Okay. Well, you need to get out more. Ben, because I'm not a woman and it wasn't in a purse. It was on my roof of my car and I drove away. And I called my son and I'm like, have you seen my iPad? And he's like, no. And I said, it's missing. I lost it. And I was terrified. And he's like, well, Dad, have you looked it up? Have you have you tried to the find my iPhone app and the find my iPad app? And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And about a minute later, he had found my iPad. He said, Dad, I found your iPad. It's traveling south on I-15. <gasps> what? Anyway, we, te- we contacted the iPad, told him to call this number. We know where you are. And within about an hour, hour and a half, we had our iPad back. Pretty cool. Tech is good. Tech making me happy. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. More fun, more tools to help you live longer and stronger. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, whether it's a movie starring Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson or it's Joey and Chandler from Friends, Hollywood tends to portray male friendships in a comedic light. But a good bromance makes for more than just bachelor parties and fist bumps. Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, joins us this morning to talk a little bit about what a bromance is and how it can be beneficial for men in their relationships. Good morning, Amy. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. We loved uh, this article you wrote in Psychology Today about uh, the surprising benefits of bromance. Now, first of all, we we there's a lot of joking about you know male friendships, but but apparently the research is showing they're valuable. They're they're important. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we look at them and you know sort of shared with a wink of like, oh, two guys you know having a beer chugging contest while right. they're watching, you know, an NFL game or something like that. But, yeah, studies show that it has tremendous benefits and that we should be giving more respect to men who have close male friendships. Why do you think we we laugh it off as much? I mean, I, I've even – I've talked about it on the show that even the word bromance kind of laughs it off, and yet we also want men healthier. So what, what is it about – why would we need to laugh off male friendships? It's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it, that we yeah. tend to do that. We give women the respect of you can have a BFF or a girlfriend yeah. go shopping for the day or you talk on the phone every day and, and nobody thinks twice about it. But, yeah, something about our culture when it comes to men, we I don't know why we tend to think that they shouldn't have other male friendships. I think it just speaks volumes about our view of masculinity that somehow a strong man should, you know, be more like the lone wolf rather than somebody who has lots of close friends and 
that we tend to think men don't talk about their feelings and you shouldn't have somebody that you have that close relationship to and you're stressed out that you could call them on the phone, but instead it's somebody maybe that you go play golf with or you, you know, help out somebody with a home improvement project that you're not actually close friends. Yeah. it's And maybe we're not, you know, in the middle of our home improvement project together. We're not opening up. We're not, right. you know, crying or – but. I, but talk about the benefits because that's what really surprised me about your article. I mean the the research shows they serve a lot of – they have a purpose and they serve a lot of different angles of health. Yeah. You know, for one, they found that um, it, having a, a really close friendship, it increases oxytocin in the brain. And that's usually the hormone that we think of when you're in love, when you're in a relationship. But it actually gets released too when you have a really close bond with somebody, even if it's a a same-sex platonic relationship. And they found that, for one, it increases generosity. When people have more oxytocin in the brain, they become more kind and generous. So who wouldn't want the man in their life to be kind and generous? Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Ladies, listen up. And that it also increases, uh, improves pain tolerance, that people can their threshold for pain actually goes up when they have more oxytocin in their brain and they tend to have decreased pain overall. So somebody that tends to have a lot of aches and pains, close friendship can help that. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I mean, like it's, it's a, it's a pain reliever and a stress reliever and a generosity increaser. It's crazy. And, you know, the, the list could go on and on. I only included a few in my article, but there's lots of stuff from it. You know, increases trust, it decreases fear, lots of stuff. And we think, you know, we talk about modern medicine and all the drugs that get prescribed to take care of a lot of ailments where people end up getting a lot of different treatments. But oxytocin could actually cure a lot of those things. And really to, to get those benefits, you just need a close bond with people in your life. Does Does it matter who the bond is with? I mean, it seems like uh, some of our oxytocin needs are usually met more with our spouse, with our kids. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good way to do to do that. But you can also get the same benefits from having close friends, which mm. I think is amazing. So whether it is that you spend time with your spouse, but they also found that it in- improves your relationships with anybody in your inner circle. So if a man has a really close friend who's a coworker or somebody else in his life, it will actually increase his bond with his children or increases his bond with his spouse. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I think that's fantastic. And yet it's oxytocin, kind of the age-old bonding chemical that that we get uh, when we are intimate with our partner. We get it when – women get it when um, feeding their baby, breastfeeding, when in a great bonded conversation even. But men, it's always kind of been brushed off as we only get it having sex. Right, right, yeah. But apparently not. Apparently we get it just being buddies. Isn't right? It's much easier than you think, or we talk about it when women are in labor. You know, you don't necessarily have to um, just get it during those certain times in your life. You can produce it on your own if you say, hey, I'm going to figure out how I can have some close people in my life and spend time with them, that that naturally increases oxytocin in your brain. That is great. Is it, um, when you think about it as a counselor, how many times now you can go prescribe it and how many relationships would that improve if you could just get the husband to take on a friend? (laughs) 
right. Sometimes I think the solutions are much simpler than we think. And I, I talk to so many couples and wives will often, you know, complain that their husband's spending too much time with his buddies. But when you look at the benefits of it, you think, well, shouldn't we be encouraging this even more? Right. Isn't he nicer? Isn't he more caring when he comes home? Isn't he more loving? Well, yeah, but he's never home. <laughs> right. Which can be the issue, but to look at, you know, how do you spend quality time with somebody and how do you make sure that you make the best of it? And if he's out doing things with his buddies and he comes home, you might have more quality time rather than quantity. Yeah, in the study, um, in another study you cited, they they did a little, um, they sprayed nasal spray that had oxytocin in it. And these dads, when they had the oxytocin on board, were better dads. They played with their babies more. They were more attentive. I mean, yeah. this is like if women could just get their hands on that spray, right. forget well, you know, the friend. Know. Some doctors prescribe a nasal spray. I think you can buy it over-the-counter, too. I can't speak to whether the <laughs> yeah. over-the-counter stuff works. But I think, again, that just speaks volumes to our desire to figure out how do you, how do you re- increase those feel-good hormones so that you can enjoy those kinds of benefits. Because, yeah, I hear from moms all the time who will say, you know, he... Hardly is ever around or he's not paying attention to the kids. But what if that's all it took to really increase that bond between the dad and his baby? Hmm. Talk about, I guess the study involved studying rats that live together. It seems like rats that live together and men having bromances wouldn't go hand in hand. But maybe talk to us a little bit about the study. Yeah, it seems like it's a little bit of a stretch, which, you know, I agree, humans and, and rats are two separate beings. But what they found with with rats was when they housed them all together, they were all competing for food and water, and they were aggressive towards each other until they had a little bit of stress. When the researchers introduced some stress into their environment, the rats start to huddle together. When they huddle together, it increases the oxytocin in their brain, and then they start to cooperate. And I think normally we'd expect the opposite results. If you were to add some stress to an environment, we might think that competition gets worse. But they found that when they added some stress, when they huddled together, they formed this sort of rat bromance, and all of a sudden they're being kinder to each other. And I think if we were to extrapolate that to humans, sometimes we see that, you know, that um, we're in competition with each other. And when we get stressed out, sometimes we think that, competition gets worse. But when you look at something like a natural disaster, the community all comes together sometimes to help out and say, how can we help one another? Because they're put underneath stress and they know we're all in this together. And I think that when the researchers looked at this, they said, you know, if we could just figure out how does this extrapolate to, to humans that if as long as they have some oxytocin in their brain and close relationships, that they become more cooperative rather than competitive. Yeah. Wow. You, um, you, it's interesting because you can see that, and I, I just work with a lot of couples, and I see that a lot of what you were saying a minute ago about pushing. We, we want our partner to our our husband to go out, and maybe be more social, but uh, th- there is that weird thing where there might be an inherent competition. They might in, immediately not hit it off with someone else. Uh, I mean, also on board is the chemical testosterone, right? So men have more testosterone and an injection of oxytocin softens them, I guess. But they also still are probably more competitive naturally just because of other chemicals in their body. Right, absolutely. And so then you have to look at, you know, how do you you help men instead of, 
competing? How do you help them cooperate so that they're not in that contest all the time to be the alpha male or to, you know, show off who's got the biggest muscles or who's got the makes the most money or drives the best car or whatever it might be? But to say, how do you how do you help people cooperate in life? Which I think is a dilemma, you know, outside of this study too. But how do you how do you make people stop, you know, looking around and resenting other people's success? How do you say how do we all work together all the time, whether we're under stress or just everyday life how do you work together so that you're not competing with everybody oh yeah and two it seems like um a lot of guys that i work with they their wives they don't have the same kind of interest so a guy may want to burn off some of that energy climbing a mountain on his mountain bike um but the wife uh, does she'll she'll do it once in a while but doesn't want to and so there's some of that competition that might even bond some of these men cuz they can all go have a competition they can go play ball they can go do something that gets the energy out and apparently the oxytocin in and um and they they actually bond in the competition yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because that's the thing I hear all the time, too, from women. Like, oh, I don't like kayaking, but I'll do it. I'll do they it. They enjoy it. And right. then you say, well, you know, well, what's the benefit of doing it anyway? And which sometimes there can be. But on the other hand, then to say, well, you know, if this is something that your spouse enjoys, how can you encourage him to have these hobbies and, and to go out and do those things with his friends and be okay with it so that you can enjoy those benefits? Yeah, huge. Let's take a break. Uh, again, we're speaking with Amy Moore, and she has um, she is an, uh, an author and writes on psychology today, um, is also a counselor, a, th- a therapist, and is a uh, college of psychology instructor, also the author of 13 best-selling books that uh, – or sorry, the book 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, a, a wonderful uh, contributor and guest. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion with Amy Moore and Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. And right now it's in oxytocin and uh, the bromance, the good part, the good relationship between two guys. Stick with us. to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have a husband that uh, has just been sitting out all friendships? Not not having a buddy that he can go out and do stuff with that, um, according to the latest research, there's a benefit when guys can be friends and uh, there's an actually uh, a very powerful impact on their health when it comes to oxytocin, which is a chemical that uh, is kind of the bonding chemical out there that we all have or have the potential to get in our relationships with people. And uh, Amy Morin is joining us. She is has a website, Amy Morin, M-O-R-I-N, lcsw.com amy morin lcsw.com she's an author uh, and a writer for psychology today wrote a wonderful article called the surprising benefits of bromance male bonding can make guys healthier happier and better dads as well and she's uh, joining us today to talk about that article amy welcome back thanks for being with us thanks for having me so if guys need relationships need a you know a good buddy um i mean and it helps them what what can we do um, if 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 your husband, let's say, isn't prone to just get out there and make friends and, and naturally get into the 
finding a best friend, what are some things that, that might you know make the road a little easier for them to get a friend? Yeah, obviously after you you know graduate from high school, you're out of college, it's harder to, to go out and meet people in your community. And if you, depending on where you work or who you, what groups and organizations you're involved in, you may hit it off with somebody, but you might not. And I think for women to encourage men to get involved in something that they're interested in, whether they join some sort of a community organization or a civic group or or at their church, but to reach out and talk to people and to just figure out who's out there and what do you have in common with. And I think to find find the things that men naturally like to do. So if you are married to somebody who enjoys rock climbing, well, figure out if there's a rock climbing group. And we know that that's how men often bond is through activities. And so if there's an activity that he enjoys doing by going out and doing those things, he'll naturally meet some people that he probably has some things in common with. Totally. And like, I I was just sitting there thinking of my, you use the word natural. It, it, It can't be something they don't naturally like or want to do because guys bond in a weird way, it seems like. Just doing something, the activity seems more bonding than maybe the conversation per se. Yeah, and I think, you know, women bond differently. They can just talk and and talk about anything and often feel like they've bonded. And women have this notion of, well, I have this girlfriend, so we're all going to go out to dinner and you're going to become friends with her husband. The (laughs) husbands may have nothing in common and the expectation that they're somehow going to be friends and bond by eating dinner together once a month is is not particularly helpful. I think that that really sets them up for failure because they're thinking, well, you know, I don't really have much in common with this person and he's not somebody I would call on a on a weekday and say, do you want to go golfing or something like that? And so I think for women to not put that pressure on men that you have to be best friends with our, our friends' spouses. Yeah, except like if they if they love cycling, then great. Go get in a group of cycling cyclists and, and, and see. See if you can find someone there um, or if they like whatever, basketball or whatever. Um, what else? What are some other ways that make it uh, a little easier for men to – I guess, to want to do this. I mean, I, I always look at it like my my wife's my friend. Everyone at work I'm with eight hours a day are my friends. That's kind of what I need. And then um, I get home and my kids I want to spend time with. So they become my friends. I almost don't feel like I need a friend. Well, I think plenty of people feel like that, right? You get caught up in a daily grind. And, and obviously, as an adult with other responsibilities, you have less time. And I think that that's okay, but to have somebody that you can call if you were stressed out or somebody that you can spend time with outside of your family, because I think we can sometimes almost lose our identity of who we are and what we like to do. And I'll work with women who will say, well, my husband's not home sometimes. So when I get home from work, I had this one lady who her husband got out a couple hours earlier than she did. And if she came home and he wasn't there yet, she would call him up yelling and screaming (laughs) and ranting and raving about why he needed to get home right away. And well, I would talk to her about, well, you know, do you think that motivates him to come home? Does he want to come home to you when you're, you know, raving about how he needs to be home all the time? Yeah. And to really change that mindset, to know that it's okay and it's a good role model for your kids to have a healthy friendship. So to give yourself permission to say, I'm going to go out of the house and have and meet up with a friend tonight so I won't be home for dinner. Doing that once in a while is completely healthy. And and for women to be able to encourage that and say that that's okay too. Yeah, and I I I think that's such a great way to look at it too because 
Um, it could very well just be a, a skill that they need to acquire or accumulate. There, I know people that are a little more introverted. They maybe are a little uh, more shy, and they just they don't ever want to seem like they need someone, right? And, right. and so all of a sudden, going out. <laughs> Especially if you're getting pressure from your spouse, like, did you make meet any friends today? <laughs> it's just going to create a really a lot of pressure on the guy. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And and again, the awkward like forced trying to make friends on purpose. Um, what did you do at lunch? What you. did you talk yeah. to anybody at the lunchroom today? No, I didn't, honey. <laughs> Isn't going to be particularly helpful, but to know that when you can build those natural relationships in areas of your life is when it just you know it doesn't feel so forced or painful. Yeah, it's such an interesting um, world because we do. Um, it seems like we don't necessarily always raise our kids, especially our male children, to get into their emotions, to get into their feelings. And now we're almost – now the science is proving it, it's valuable. I think it's always been proving that. Um, and yet we want to try to turn something that we didn't necessarily teach them when they were young. Maybe this is something that might be more valuable to teach our kids to change the future generations. Oh, I think absolutely. To make it clear to kids that you know your, your school buddies that you're hanging out with on – on the weekends, sometimes too, or that you have a play date with once in a while, that that's really valuable. You can learn so many skills, but also just really good for your body, for your mind to, yeah. to have those close friends. Does when you look at this as a counselor, um, does it? I guess too. This is something that because the oxytocin exists in the male-female relationship as well. Maybe having a strong friendship with your spouse would enable you to gain the skills and the tools to take it elsewhere. I mean, eventually we're going to lose our, I'm going to maybe, I doubt it, but possibly could outlive my wife. And if I do, then what, right? Or if I lose my spouse, then what? Then I have nobody when my kids are out of the house. I mean, this is a big deal down the road too. Oh, absolutely. And I I was widowed when I was 26. Oh, that's right. I remember your story, right. Yeah, and so to be able to say, how do you how do you then say, you know, I have this special bond with my spouse? How do I translate that to other relationships? Absolutely. How do I make sure that I have close people in my life so that I can still be bonded and to enjoy healthy relationships? Because I think it is so easy to get caught up in, you know, I have my spouse and my kids, and I don't really need much from the outside world, and and. It goes both ways. We hear that, but then you also hear people who say, you know, he's not a family man or he's not around enough. So how do you find that balance somewhere in the middle so that you can say I have a healthy relationship with my family, but I also have a life outside of my family occasionally as well? Yeah, the balance is the key, isn't it? I guess that's somehow being able to manage the present and the future. you got to be able to get prepared for what you'll need in the future, yet still live it in the present. That's always the challenge, isn't it? In almost everything we do in life to figure out how do you find that balance. And sometimes it feels like things are out of whack and you need to reprioritize and change things around but to, to make sure that you're striving to make things as balanced as you can. Yeah, interesting. It's great. It's great insight. Amy, as we wrap it up, what would you say is the one thing, the one thing we should all remember when it comes to our relationships and um, and especially maybe the guys need to make sure they're practicing to, to make this principle work. 
I guess I would say just don't be afraid to reach out for and talk to people. I think that we tend to, in today's digital world, we tend to do too much on social media and not enough in-person social contact. So I think to reach out to, to people in real life and spend time with the people that we care about is probably the best thing we can do at this point. Yeah. That's good. Amy Morin, thank you so much. And keep up the great work there at amymorinlcsw.com. You're, you're a great resource. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. You bet. Also, you can check out her articles if you go to psychologytoday.com. Just Google Amy Morin. You can look at her TED Talks and go get her book. She's, she's doing it all and uh, teaching us how to be healthier friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back to a little Coach's Corner next hour. Continue the discussion of male friendships. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, we talked about it. Last uh, just a few minutes ago about bromances, right? Again, we got to blow up the name bromance. If you want guys to have friends, you can't call it a bromance. Blown up, blown up, problem solved. Thank you, Ben. Uh, we you really got to you got to let guys have friends, but there's there's some other stuff I think going on really, and and if we don't deal with that, I I think. We're kidding ourselves uh, because in the end, I want – I would love to just go hang out. In fact, my favorite uh, thing in the last few years, I'd get up every morning early, about 5.30 and I'd be golfing by 6 a.m. as the sun was coming up. Oh, even when the sun wasn't up with three buddies, we'd go hit – in fact, it was three years ago right now. Dew, there was dew all over the grass. It was so awesome. And we would golf 18 holes, be done, I think, by 8 a.m., and I'd go right to work. And I'd come home, shower, then go to work by 9. And it was, oh, it was the greatest thing in the world. And the other day I was out with some of them. We're like, we really need to go golf again. Let's go start golfing again. And in my head I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm working. I'm working now. So then I thought, and again, I don't, when I get home from work, I got to be with my family because I haven't been with them. So I got to be with them. And that might be one of our problems. Guys, I think we do need best friends. We also need a job. (laughs) You got to keep your job. You got to keep it. But so don't either or it. Don't think how can I have a friend? I don't have time for a friend. Well, you do really because uh, in fact, we'll talk to Spencer and Jerem who are from BYU Sports Nation, they, they're great friends. They go to lunch. They go hang out. They are best friends. So you can find your friend at work. I mean, I won't because Ben doesn't want to hang out very long. Whoa, I, 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 say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I say, I'll take you to lunch. You're like, I already ate. I say, I'll – stuff like that. I think you're lying. I think you're making excuses. That's a good point. Very good point. <laughs> <laughs> Guys do need friends. 
Um, a study that they did here at Brigham Young University showed that if uh, somebody feeling lonely or being dis, you know, not connected to a social network, it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day to your health. I don't think I, – I don't usually feel lonely if I'm alone. I actually feel great. I feel better and I truly am. Nobody believes it, but I'm a true introvert. I love being alone. Love it. Love it. And so let me give you some tools, some tricks of the trade. Um, we got to bond in a way that feels natural to us. One of the things I'm a big believer is men bond shoulder to shoulder. Women bond eye to eye. Most men don't just love sitting eye to eye talking. I mean, they do. But even when they're talking, they're not eye to eye. We're shoulder to shoulder. So guys, go look for something that feels more natural to you. An easy way to figure out how what is natural to you is what would you go do in your free time? If you go hit a bucket of balls, then call a buddy and go hit a bucket of balls with a buddy. And you guys can still talk and, and, and handle that and, and do that together. But learn how your partner bonds by noticing what they do to feel close and connect to others. I know a guy in my neighborhood that just serves everybody. He, he walks around the neighborhood and he literally sees where somebody needs something and he'll go help them. If he sees me out working on my lawnmower, he'll stop. He just stops and helps. Now, I'm embarrassed. Like, I can't turn it on. He's like, no, you got to pull that cord thing. Just pull it. There we go. Starts right up. He'll go serve people. Men, um, by the way, socialize, I call it, on convenience over connection. So a man's social network tends to be built out of convenience. My social life is run by my wife. My wife will create activities and things for us to do, and so I just follow her lead. But some other ways that uh, it's out of convenience is I might socialize through my family, through my kids, through my church, through my work. Those are all things that are already convenient to me. I'm already going to be at church on Sunday, so that could create a lot of my social relationships. I'm going to be going to my kids' games. Maybe I could be more involved in my activities with my kids. Maybe I could become a coach or an assistant coach on one of their sports teams. This might be a way for me to meet more people. As a, as a family man, I might be able to connect or be best friends with my sisters, my brothers, family members. So just know that you don't have to go to the bar and pick up a friend, but I might be able to pick up friends going on a date with my wife and we double with a couple, or I might be able to go hang out with brothers if I had any, or brothers-in-law, or with my kids and their social activities, or with my church groups and just the people that I associate with in my church or community, or I could pick up my friends at work. I have 40 to 50 hours a week to bond with people, right? Friends. Okay, Ben? So we're going to try bonding this week or something. Okay, I guess we can try. Yeah. God. I know. Well, it doesn't have to work. I mean, if it you doesn't work, you just have to say I'll, that we did it, right? Yeah. Okay. And if it doesn't work, we'll let you go. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Wait, let me go? <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. We'll sort it out later. Not a big deal. Anyway, folks, there's a million ways to find the time. So don't make it about time. Make it just about who do you hang with? And trust your wife a little bit on this too. Trust your spouse. Maybe – they have some insight into somebody you might like to hang out with. Anyway, fun, fun stuff. We'll take a break. 